So, how is everybody? Good? Okay, you're awake now, right? Okay, that's good. If you're in the youth group, 6th through 12th grade, you can leave. <laughs> How's that sound? Go upstairs where there's supervision. How's that? Does that sound better? Pastor Daniel has, uh, has something planned for you. And uh, some of you may be wondering what's going on with the youth group pastor search. Um, you know, we've had, uh, we had a candidate here a few weeks ago. We are uh, have a uh, looking at another person that we're really super excited about. So things are really in motion. Um, you'll, you'll see here real soon. I'm excited about where the Lord's taken, taken this. And uh, you know what I've really learned through this whole process of looking for a youth pastor? In one word, patience. Can I get somebody to close that back door for me? I don't have my sunglasses and that's just really going to distract me. Patience. Wait upon the Lord, right? How many know pastors can learn things too? I know some of you are looking at me and go, I don't see how that's possible, but that's a joke by the way. Man, you guys, this is going to be a rough one for me. We're all in process, right? Each and every one of us are learning and growing in the things of the Lord. Each and every one of us. And, and the Lord is really teaching me how to be patient and wait upon him and the right person that he has planned for that. So we have not forgot. We are definitely searching and looking and praying and being patient. And this morning... Uh, we're going to continue through the book of 1 Kings. We're going to be in chapters 5 and 6. We're going to look at two chapters today. And I would like to invite you uh, to our Facebook page for the previous four messages in this study that we started back uh, in, in mid-July. If you, if you haven't seen those and you didn't know, right now on that camera up there, we are live on Facebook. We record each one of these live, so I have to be careful what I say, and I never am very careful, but I try. We're live, and then afterwards we save them to our Facebook page, and you, uh, if you missed one of the first four, I would encourage you to go to uh, the Bridge Church Facebook page and catch up on the ones you may have missed out on. Uh, I, I think they're very pertinent, and they're uh, important for you to, to see if you would like, all right? Uh, we do record those and save them. We also, you can go to our, our web page. Uh, we have a Facebook page. We have a web page. And on our web page, you can click on and actually go to our YouTube page where we save those messages as well if you're not a Facebook fan. Okay? So there's plenty of places for you to go and check us out. Don't you just love social media? You're sick. You need help. No. It's a great tool when used correctly. Amen. But again, please use those resources that we provide and check out uh, our, our previous messages on this. There's also other messages on there. I know Keith Helgenson's message is on there. John Bart's message is on there and others. So you can enjoy hours and hours of learning and growing and looking at different studies that we have on the Facebook page. Now, the Lord led me to this book 
like I said, First uh, Kings, back in early July, and gave me this statement regarding the reason for the study through the book of First Kings. Like, he, it was so powerful, First Kings, First Kings, and I was like, okay, you know, I've never done a study uh, through First Kings, and then as I began to pray about that, this statement came to my mind, a country in chaos. And I go, well, that's pretty fitting for what's going on. And I said, okay, Lord, we'll, we'll, we'll dive into that and we'll see how relevant and how pertinent it is to our country that is in chaos, isn't it? And how we can take some of the things that we learned from 1 Kings and apply it to our own lives in such a time as this. This country... Israel, here in 1 Kings, Israel, it started with, with a little bit of chaos that we saw in, in the first couple of, of chapters, but is currently experiencing a time of happiness, which we saw last week as we looked at what happiness is. And you can see that, if you would like, uh, from last week on Facebook or YouTube. This morning, in chapters 5 and 6, we will see this happiness continue in this country. They're not in, a, in any kind of a chaos right now. It's calm before the storm. You're going to see this happiness continue as they turn their attention to building the temple. To building the temple. Father, I just pray that you still our hearts and minds. Lord, help us to receive from you this morning, speak through me, your, your servant, Lord, I pray uh, that your word would go forth in power. We wouldn't just be hearers, we would be doers. Help us be ready to, to apply and learn and grow, Lord, as we look at the word of God this morning. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we begin, uh, let's look at, at the purpose of a temple, kind of a, a definition of a temple. There, there's Temples aren't a big deal around, around our area or this region, are they? Let's look at a definition or purpose of a temple. A temple is, I believe I have it for you as well, a temple is a structure usually built for the purpose of and always dedicated to religious. We're not talking about it's always dedicated to the living God. A, a temple, there's many different kinds of temples and they're for different religious purposes, all right? So always dedicated to a religious or spiritual activity, including prayer, meditation, sacrifice, and worship. So I want you to keep this in mind this morning as we turn to 1 Kings chapter 5 and chapter 6. Now we're not going to read all of these chapters. We're going we're to read a little, we're going to jump ahead, and I'm going to explain why as we go through this. So in 1 Kings chapter 5, King Solomon, he prepares before he begins to build. How many of you know that when you're going to build something, it's a good idea to prepare a little bit? I seem to have problems with that. I tear stuff up at my house and never prepare, and four years later, they're still sitting there. <laughs> All the guys said amen. It's a good idea to prepare. So King Solomon, being the wise man that he is, asked for wisdom. Before he begins, he prepares. So he negotiate with King Hiram, the king of the north, for the timber he will need to build. So he's negotiating with a, a kingdom just to the north. The Sidonians, 
These Sidonians, these people to the north, they are skilled at timbering, and Solomon needs them and the timber from Lebanon that is from the north. How many of you know sometimes uh, you need wood to build with? There's cedars and pine, the scripture says. So Solomon, he more or less makes this treaty and he negotiates with this king and he gives him all kinds of provisions and he's going to get all the timber he needs and everybody's happy. Here in chapter 5, we see King Solomon continue with his preparations to build by putting into place the labor he will need. So verses 1 through 12, he's negotiating and he's, he's working out on all this stuff that he needs to build. Now I'm going to read to you as he, he uh, does this next part, his preparation with the labor he's going to need. 1 Kings 5, 13 and 16 says... King Solomon conscripted laborers, interesting, it's Labor Day weekend. He, cons- he conscripted laborers from all Israel. Listen to these numbers. 30,000 men, he sent them off to Lebanon. He's talking about just, just the men of Israel right here. He sent them off to Lebanon in shifts of 10,000 a month so that they spent one month in Lebanon and two months at home. That's, that's awesome. 30 days on and 60 days off. How many of you guys can handle that? Yeah, well, that's what he's doing with these, these Israelite men. And then Adriam was in charge of the forced labor. Solomon had, listen to this, he had 70,000 carriers. These people that would carry stuff, move these stones that we're going to talk about today, and 80,000 stone cutters on the hills. Now, some scholars believe that these were slaves. These weren't the Israelite men, or these were more forced, more of a forced labor pool of laborers, okay? So they're different from the 30,000 that he sends up in cycles. These people are working. They, they're not getting these days off. So that's a lot of people. So uh, a thousand stone cutters in the hills, as well as 3,300 foremen. A lot of chiefs in charge of this operation, right? How you know that saying, too many chiefs and not enough Indians? Well, there's a lot of, a lot of people here, right? These people, but they have a lot of foremen. Uh, they had 3,300 foremen who supervised the project and directed the workmen. That's over 160,000 people working if you only count 10 that are on and the 20 that are off. 160,000 people. What are they building? A temple. Not a freeway system from here to there. They're building a building. 160,000 people working at any given one time. That's not the whole pool of laborers. 160 people working on a building. Can you imagine if we had 160 people working on the bridge church when they built it? It would have been done in what? Two days? 160. Just latch on to that number. That's phenomenal to me. I, I've been on construction sites most of my life and been around all that and seen huge work crews around big buildings, but never that big. That's an amazing workforce. 
Now that the preparations have been made in, in chapter 5, I, I skipped over a lot of numbers and details because honestly, I think if I would have read all those different things and negotiations, it would have just put you to sleep. Okay, but I wanted you to get the point. He, he makes these preparations. And now that the preparations have been made, the building begins. And we're going to dive in. Uh, we're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 6 now, verse 1. In the 480th year after the Israelites had come out of Egypt, 480 years now have taken place since the Israelites have left Egypt and finally are in the promised land. 40 years in the desert. So they're really in the promised land for about 440 years. In the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel as the king, in the month of, of Zev, the second month, he began to build the temple of the Lord. Can you imagine? They probably had a great groundbreaking ceremony. You think they had their little golden shovels out there and their little hard hats. You know how they do that around. They cut the ribbon, have the groundbreaking ceremony, and they throw a couple of shovel loads of dirt, and they get out of the way, and the bulldozers come in. This is a big day, though. This is a big day for the nation of Israel. 480 years after leaving Egypt, they have now broken ground on the temple. It's a big deal. I imagine there was some ceremony that took place. There sure was when it was completed. Verses 2 through 6, we're not going to read that. It shows the dimensions of the temple. It's the blueprints. These blueprints rep, uh, reflect the, the desert uh, tabernacle, that, that is the tent of meeting that Moses built exactly like the pattern God showed him in Exodus, in Exodus 25, 9. The difference between the two, the, the temple and the tabernacle, the tent of tabernacle, the tent of meeting, is it's, it's, the, same, it's the same structure. It has the outer court, inner court, the most holy. It has all those different things as the tent of meeting, but this is going to be much larger. But it's the same blueprint. So Solomon just didn't sit down and make up some crazy drawing in his, in his mind. He's using the blueprint found right there that Moses had in Exodus 25, 9. The one that Lord had prescribed to him. It's going to be twice as large though. The same setting. So he has a blueprint. Now look at verse 7. In, the building, in building the temple, only blocks dressed at the quarry were used. It's where the stone cutters are. And no hammer, listen to this, no hammer, chisel, or any other iron tool was heard at the temple site, at the job site, while it was being built. That's what we would call it in today's term, at the job site. So at the quarry, they're using whatever they can. They build these, these stones, right? And they're huge. I had the privilege to go over to Israel and go down below the wall where the, they believe the, the first temple wall was built. And the stones on that wall are ginormous. And when you think there was no chisel, no hammer, nothing at the job site when they put those stones into place. They prefabbed them. And they brought them in and they fit together. It's an amazing feat that took place. But why? Why not allow these tools to be used on the, on the job site? There's a couple of different reasons they believe this. This would probably reflect 
back to the time of Moses, where the use of iron on rock closely associated with the pagan practices. They would do different chants and different things with iron and the rocks. And so they didn't want to, to have any of that kind of stuff around this, this temple, this place of worship that they're building. And it also, also these shaped stones, stones uh, cut and manipulated, was forbidden in the building of an altar in Exodus 20, 25. So some believe that uncut stones were considered a symbol of purity. It's a symbol of purity, so the workers were allowed to prefab everything at the quarry, but on the job site where the Holy of Holies, where this great temple was being built, they didn't want any tools there. They wanted it to be as pure as possible. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing, especially when you read through and see how ornate and how big and how awesome this temple was. And then verses 8 through 10, it gives some more of the building details and the dimensions. And if if you really like numbers and like that kind of stuff, you can read it later. But for the sake of time this morning, I'm going to pass over that. We're going to dive right back into verses 11 through 14. The word of the Lord came to Solomon. So he's made preparations. Things are taking place. They begin to build. The day has come. They've had the groundbreaking ceremony. And then the word of the Lord came to Solomon. As for this temple you are building, if you follow my decrees, carry out my regulations, and keep all my commands and obey them, I will fulfill through you the promise I gave to David your father. And I will live among the Israelites and will not abandon my people Israel. So Solomon built the temple and completed it. And if you read all the way through, it says in verse 38, at the end of this chapter, we are told that it took seven years to build the temple. Close to 200,000 people working on one building took close to seven years, people. That is quite a building. That is quite a building. And after a quick overview of these two chapters, it becomes clear to me that for Solomon to carry out this monumental Old Testament Don't lose sight of this. This is an Old Testament temple uh, to to have a, uh, to carry out this monumental, monumental Old Testament temple building project. Certain preparations had to take place that we just saw, right? He needed a plan. The who, what, where, when, why, how, right? He had to have a plan. That's a lot of people, a lot of moving uh, cogs in the wheel, a lot of stuff that had to take place. There had to be a really good plan, and he had a good plan in place. He needed a blueprint. And he had that, the desert tabernacle design. He knew what God wanted and how he wanted it. He needed material. He had lumber from Lebanon and the nearby stone quarry where they were manufacturing the stones. He needed labor. Israelites, as well as many others, close to 200,000 in all. Can, can you just imagine? Could you imagine all those people on a work day? And it's lunchtime? When I worked in construction and big job sites, there at one any time at break or lunchtime, the 
uh, food truck would come by to sell stuff. We always called it the roach coach. I don't remember some of the things we called it. You get a hot cup of coffee and you can, can you imagine one of those trucks pulling up and the line that would take place to get a breakfast burrito? That's a lot of people. Just think of the logistics to feed all those people. So he needed labor. He needed oversight. So he had 3,300 foremen. That's a lot of people to help him have oversight to see what's taking place. And then he needed to get busy. One of, uh, once the pieces are together, you got to do it, right? So he had it all together and he went after it. So there you have it, chapters 5 and 6. Shall we leave it right there? Go home? Go fishing? Go barbecuing? Enjoy your day off? Barb, should we go golfing today? What do you think? How do, how do you apply this? That's where I'm going with this. You see, I know some of you may be wondering how this story of this country building a temple could really have any relevance to anyone today. How could it have any relevance? Especially since history shows that this very temple would later be destroyed by the Babylonians. The temple would be rebuilt years later, but not to its original glory. But it would also be destroyed this time by the Romans. So why is it even relevant? Please, please, please understand. In the Old Testament times, this temple was very, very important. It was dedicated to the living God. There was prayer, worship, and there was sacrifice there. The sacrifice that brought forgiveness. It had to be an ongoing sacrifice because Jesus hadn't come yet. And it was what God required them to do. So they had this place to do it. But because of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, this Old Testament type of temple is not needed. Are you hearing me this morning? Because of what Jesus did on the cross, this Old Testament type of temple is no longer needed. But it does teach us something. It teaches us something. It teaches us about another temple. It teaches us about another temple. And that is where we find the relevance to each of us today. Please understand, as a born-again disciple of Jesus, you are the temple. You are the temple. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Do, not, do you not know that your body is, the, is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners or aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. We're talking about a spiritual temple right there. In him, the whole building is joined together, the church 
and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You are a temple. As a born-again disciple of, of Christ, you, yes, you, as a born-again disciple of Jesus, are a living temple. You're a work in, project, in process, right? Each and every one of us. But you are the temple. Are you thankful that you don't have to pack your bags once in a while and get over to Jerusalem to go into the temple to, to make arrangements to have sacrifice done for you for your atonement of your sin? Aren't you thankful for that? We don't need any temple. This building, the Bridge Church, is a tool. Do you understand that? This is a tool. Many times we think the church, oh, I got to go down to 2170 12th Street because that's where the church is. No, you are the church. You are the temple. You are walking about all around in our community, wherever you go as the church, as the temple of God, spreading the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. We come here because we're blessed to have a building where we, we have dedicated unto the Lord, where we can come and worship. But how many of you came here to worship? How many of you came here to give homage, to bow down to this building today? Hopefully none of you. This is just a place where we gather to worship as the church. Each one of you brought your little temples in here with you today, right? Now we're all a bunch of little temples worshiping in one big building to the great big living God. Does that make sense? That's what the Bible tells us. Now, much like King Solomon making his preparations to build the Old Testament temple, you and I must do the same to build our temple. You're a work in progress. You have to do some building, some preparations, right? So just like King Solomon, let's break it down. We need a plan. We need a plan. The first part of your plan to be a living temple for the Lord is to admit that you are a sinner. You have a problem, and it's called sin. Okay, so that, that's where your plan starts. You can't be a temple of the living God until you admit you're a sinner. What do we do with our sin? As I've said, in the times of King Solomon, the priest went before the Lord, and he made sacrifice for the sins of the people. In our time, the plan given to us for once and for all for the forgiveness of sin is Jesus, right? So once you admit you're a sinner and you know you need a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, to make his way back, uh, make our relationship right with God again through the blood of Jesus Christ, you admit that, you, you, you have a plan, you say, Lord, help me, then you become a temple, we're going to look at the Holy Spirit in a few minutes. That's how it starts. That's the plan. You have to start with that part. You, you can't even begin to build a temple before the Lord to be a born-again disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ until you start right there with that part of the plan. Is everybody with me? That's where it starts.
The next part. We need a blueprint. We need a blueprint to help us live out our life. How do you know where I'm going with this? Right? Where, am I, where, where could I possibly go with this? Has anybody figured it out yet? God has given you a blueprint. If you don't have one of these blueprints, talk to me and I'll give you one. So you have a plan and, and, and the Holy Spirit touched you at one point in your time. And if he hasn't yet, I pray that happens today. Holy Spirit touched you, convicted you that you, you're a sinner and you need Jesus in your life. I, it happened to me. And come out of my life of bondage and sin and I accepted Jesus Christ in my life. And then the Lord says, now find your way, young man. <laughs> no, a wise person who I met with and said, you need a blueprint. Jay, you need a blueprint. You, you need to find out about God. You need to read his love letter to you. You need to find out everything he has for you. How to live the abundant life that Jesus promised you. You see, we need to read it. We need to meditate upon it, right? Uh, the Bible says when the, when the enemy comes against you to resist him, you resist by reciting scripture that you, you read. And it's amazing how the, how the Holy Spirit just brings it to fruition, uh, brings it to your mind, brings it to your speech when you're under attack from the enemy and you begin to, to say scripture and you're like, man, where did that come from? Because you were reading it and God put it in your heart and it came back. And when you resist him, he must flee. You have to read it, church. I'm just going to tell you like it is. You have to read it. You have to let it sink in. You have to read it. Maybe you're not a great reader and you don't like to read. That's okay. Read, read, read a paragraph a day. Just start with that. Just read a paragraph a day. Find time, quiet time. Just read a little bit a day and, and meditate on it. Then say, Lord, I just read uh, this this paragraph right here and it doesn't make any sense to me. Lord, I, I'm going to stop right there and Lord, throughout the day will you just help me understand what I just read and you'll be amazed. You, you'll turn on the radio to some Christian station and the pastor may be, may be preaching on that same scripture and it, you're like, wow. You, you may be reading something, come to church here one day and I may speak and I've had many times people come up and say, you're reading my mail. How did you know I was reading that scripture? I didn't know there's a thing called God and he put you here, you read it, and then he used me to help you. It happens all the time. Well, that's just coincidence. No, it's not. Did I make my point clear about the blueprint? I'm going to try to move on. But see, we have this Bible. We have God's word given for us for teaching, rebuking, and training. Oh, I... I teaching and training, but that rebuking part, Pastor, that, that's not for me. Yes, it is. Yes, it is, because he rebukes those he loves. That's what he does, and we, we need it. The Bible will help you build and grow upon your life as God's temple. The next, the next thing we see is we need material. 
How do you know where I'm going with this? Does anybody know where I'm going with this? We need material. As a born-again disciple of Jesus, you must know that you have the best, the greatest material the world has to offer when it comes to building and maintaining your temple. Our material is this, the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. You don't have to negotiate for it either. Like Solomon did. Listen to Acts chapter 1 verses 4 and 8. Jesus is speaking. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Jesus, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized. What does that word mean, baptized? It means immersed. Totally immersed. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, the disciples, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to uh, restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power, but you will receive power, you will receive the greatest material that you can build and maintain your temple. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It doesn't say you will be my witnesses as you sit all alone at home and come to church by yourself, there by yourself, waiting for Jesus to come. He says, no, you're going to receive power, the greatest material in the world, because I got something for you to do. Get out there and share the love of Christ. And sometimes use words. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. I don't have it for you, but listen to it. And you also were in included in Christ when you heard the word of truth. Isn't that awesome? You were part of the co-heir, included with Christ when you heard the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation. Jesus Christ is the good news, he is the reason that we are saved before God, right? Gospel of our salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. I love this verse. Whenever you feel that you can't take another breath, Go another day because this thing we call life is upon you and you feel under attack, whatever it is, you fill in the blank. Whenever that, just remember Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. If you've confessed the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, you're doing your best to live for him, you're walking forward, you're moving with him, you need to remember that I am marked with a seal. You are marked with the seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit. So in the spiritual realm, there's something about you that in the spiritual realm that, that is seen upon you called the Holy Spirit that is in you. That excites me, people. I am marked with the seal. I am branded. I am a co-heir of the kingdom. I belong to him. Nobody can touch me. 
The world can hurt me, harm me, but whatever. But when I pass from this world, eternity is going to unfold before me because I belong to him because I'm marked with a seal. That's what the Bible is telling us. It is through the Holy Spirit that we, that we grow, that we, that, that we build our temple. The Holy Spirit, it convicts. It convicts us, comforts us, it guides us, it teaches us, just to name a few things. The question is, is do we listen? Do we listen? We need to be prepared to hear that still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. Don't do that. <laughs> you know you shouldn't do that, right? You, you see the, the angel and the devil on your shoulder, right? That, that you shouldn't do that. Oh, do it. It'll be fun. The Holy Spirit's, don't do it. You know it's going to hurt you. There's consequences. We need to listen. In building our temple, the next thing that we saw Solomon do that we need to do is we need laborers. Now please understand, as we build our temple, we are called to help others find and build and grow, right? We become co-laborers with him. You see, we need people who are hungry and passionate about living and sharing their faith out loud. The kingdom needs people in the game and not on the bench. Jesus said in Matthew 9, 37, the harvest is, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Meaning that there's a whole world around you, around your sphere of influence that do not know Jesus. Because the harvest is plentiful. There's people all around us, even in the great United States, that still don't know Jesus. Did you know foreign countries are now sending missionaries to the United States because this is one of the greatest missions field in the world now? Did you know that? It's true. We need to be co-laborers with him. Do our part to share. We're all evangelists. We can all reach people. We can all co-labor with the Holy Spirit. We can all listen to the Holy Spirit. You can be in a line somewhere and the Holy Spirit may, may say, say, say hello to that person. I don't know that person. Just, just say hello. All right. Hello. Hello. Why did you say hello? Uh, because God told me to. <laughs> I'm serious. God told you to say hello to me. Tell me about this, God. Well, guess what? You get to tell your story. Just because you said hello, because the Holy Spirit told you to say hello, it opens the door. And God does other things as well. Listen. Co-labor with the Holy Spirit, because he will use you. And it could be that simple. You laugh, but I'm telling you, it could be that simple. Wow, I, I said hello and I won this person to the Lord. I guess I am an evangelist. You are an evangelist. Okay? And then, then we see the other one was we need oversight. As we build and grow, we need good, godly overseers to help us grow. Right? Someone who has spent some time building and growing their temple. We call it spiritual maturity. 
Right? We, we need those people. Uh, listen, I, I've been a pastor now for, for many years. I've been a born-again disciple of Jesus uh, 25 years. And I still need somebody with spiritual maturity to help me continue to grow. Right? I, I still I have a pastor. I still talk to him. And he still challenges me. Right? He, and believe it or not, as old as he is, he still has a pastor. But see, we need that overseeing uh, people to help us continue to grow. We need to find somebody that has more spiritual maturity than us. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be torn down. All built up. Does it sound like you're building your temple? Does it sound like that's what God wants us to do? Because we are the temple. We are to build up, find people with spiritual maturity to challenge us, help us to grow. It doesn't mean that you worship them or idolize them. They just help you. They're not perfect. They make mistakes. But you need to find them to challenge you in your growth. Because you are building your temple. And someday, someday the Bible says each and every one of us is going to stand before the Lord and give an account of our life. Like I said, my pastor from years ago, who still this day is my pastor, he made, he made a huge impact on me and Cindy as he prepared us for service for the Lord. I remember when I was, I remember when I was a brand new babe in Christ. I was, I was deep in, into the prophecy club. I gave my heart to the Lord and I dove, I dove deep into the prophecy club. Man, and, and I was coming up for air every once in a while and I was dragging people down with me. <laughs> My pastor had to call me in his office. Now, wait, wait, wait. What are you, what are you doing? Uh, I've been listening to this teaching and that teaching and all these prophetic things, you know, and, and I'm not even going to go into detail. You get the point. He had to bring balance into my life. And I'm thankful that he did. But that's what spiritually mature people do. They bring balance into your life. He didn't want to squish my zeal for the Lord, but he said, hey, we need to bring some balance here. Bring some balance to this. Let's, let's explore this a little better here. Let's see what's really going on. You see, the born-again believers that God puts in our lives as we begin our journey all gave us the spiritual oversight we need to grow and build our temple. Stevie, if you could come, that'd be great. I want to close this morning by looking back at where we began. And that is by taking a look at what a temple was built for. I have a definition for you once again. A temple is a structure usually built for the purpose of and always dedicated to religious or spiritual activities, including prayer, meditation, sacrifice, and worship. Once again... That's not necessarily a temple for the God that we worship. 
There's temples all around the world that were built for those reasons, but they're worshiping something different. Let's make it personal this morning with, with that definition in mind and everything that we talked about. Does your temple, if you're a born-again disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are marked with a seal, you are a temple of the living God, right? You are working in progress. Does your temple have purpose? Are you living a life that is dedicated to God? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to do his work in you, to convict you of sin, to encourage you when times get rough, to, com uh, to comfort you as well? The Holy Spirit is called the great comforter. Praise the Lord. Boy, there's been times where people can say nothing in my life. Just recently, nobody had any words to be said. I can feel the Holy Spirit there comforting because he's in me he's living in me I'm marked with the seal he's, he's in me as a born again disciple so when we grieve he comforts he guides when we're about to do something wrong he convicts us see I hope and pray this is the case for each of you want to pray, God, that anybody that's perhaps seeing us on Facebook or in this building today, if they aren't marked with that seal of the living Holy Spirit in us that the Bible clearly says happens when the minute we confess, when we confess that we are sinners, when we confess that we need a Savior and we ask Jesus into our life, the minute that happens, Lord, we know that your spirit is put in us. And Lord, if there's anyone here on Facebook today that hasn't done that, I pray in Jesus' name that your power, your conviction would overwhelm them in such a way right now, Lord, that they would receive, they would confess and receive the greatest gift of all, that you would put them on this path, this journey, this life, Lord, this abundant life, God, not a perfect life, abundant life. They would come around other believers, Lord, and be on this journey begin to build their temple. Touch them in Jesus' name. And Lord, for any of us that are here today that are born again disciples, Lord, watching or here, I pray that each one of us would live a life with godly purpose. That we would recognize that we are the temple of the living God place in such a time as this, in the year 2020, as crazy as it's been, and, and maybe it's even going to get crazier, but such a time as this, we are the living temple walking around our sphere of influence, our community, wherever that is, but we are the living temple sent out, Lord, to reach the world with the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. So prompt us, touch us, empower us, give us courage, Lord, to do what you've called us to do, God, us that insight, that that inclination, that, that 
just knowing that the power is in us that you've called us to do it. I'm lost for words, Lord. I just pray that each one of us would allow you to just do that in our lives. I thank you for our time today. And I pray none of us would leave here the same that we came. In Jesus' name, amen. Next week, chapter 7, we're going to look at the furnishings of the temple. The furnishings of God's temple. And you know where I'm going with that. The furnishings for your temple. You don't want to miss it. You're going to be here next week. God bless. If you need prayer today, I would love to pray for you. Uh, down here. I, uh, maybe we'll see you Saturday at the Motor View Drive-In for a couple hours. I guess that's all I got. Also, be watching Facebook for Palace of Love. I'm pretty sure something's coming this week. God bless.